Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We will be looking at verses 25 to 30 this morning, but I'm going to start reading from verse 14 for just the sake of context. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. So in the day of Christ I will have reason to boast, because I did not run in vain nor labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. And you also rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be in good spirits when I learn of your circumstances. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned about your circumstances." For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately, as soon as I evaluate my own circumstances. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. But I regarded it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, so I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again you may rejoice and I may be less concerned. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to fulfill what was lacking in your service to me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look at this testimony and this record of this man, of this servant of yours, help us to glean um, examples and principles for how we can uh, grow in faithfulness and how we go about our Christian lives. Though our circumstances are vastly different, there are things to learn as all of your word is profitable and is good for us. So help us to learn, help us to understand, and please guide me as I speak your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I think it's uh, clear to say and, and uh, just uh, probably uh, fitting for everyone that um, no one likes being sick. <laughs> and I think it's safe to say that um, men are typically the worst at enduring an illness. Um, <laughs> we tend to complain a lot. And uh, it's interesting that being sick tends to create the perfect environment for complaining and ingratitude to flourish. And in fact, I, I think it's um, 
those common sicknesses and injuries which God uses most frequently to sanctify us and to expose our sinful desires, our thoughts and attitudes, and especially when it's at the most opportune, inopportune time to get sick or the worst time for us to get sick, like getting sick during a vacation. <laughs> it's just, it just seems to happen to me almost every other vacation. Um, or what I and most... Uh, service members have experienced is getting sick on a, during a long field exercise or during a deployment um, when you're not, um, you don't have the normal creature comforts, especially when you can't just go and take a shower, you can't just quit, you, can't, you, you don't have all the comfort foods or sometimes not even the medicine that you normally take. It, it's, and it seems it's happened to me on every deployment, every field exercise, just a, a miserable situation. Um, likewise, it's interesting, I, I, I've heard similar testimonies from missionaries getting sick on the mission field, which for some reason that seems to be par for the course for missions, <laughs> that, that eventually you are going to get sick. And um, you hear that in missionary letters or biographies of missionaries getting sick. And at some point, for um, many missionaries, they will probably um, get a life-threatening illness. Um, something such as malaria or dang fever or yellow fever or tuberculosis or a host of other potential illnesses you read about in missionary letters and biographies, uh, many of those things that we don't experience here in, in our country but are all over the world and, um, and all throughout church history, sicknesses and illnesses. And, and it's interesting because not only do we see that in the lives of missionaries and throughout church history, but we see the same thing in the New Testament. And not only here with Epaphroditus being gravely ill, but also with Paul. As he even writes uh, to the Galatians and testifies, it was because of an illness that I came to you. And uh, many uh, commentators, because Galatia, or where the region he was in, was mountainous. So they, they think they would assume that um, Paul contracted something like malaria, which is, in more, is transfer, transmitted by mosquitoes. And he may have contracted that in a low, swampy uh, area. And so he went to the mountains. And so, and, and you can even read about um, ancient medicine and some of the diseases that they um, dealt with. It, it, was just, uh, it was just a common occurrence in, in that day and age, and, and more so in our day and age. But, you know, it was something that Paul dealt with. And Epaphroditus here, we learn about him dealing with. And it's interesting, just a side note, um, this raises a question. Why, why didn't Paul heal Epaphroditus? Paul healed others, but here's Epaphroditus. He speaks about him being sick and sick to the point of death, but why didn't Paul heal him? And we think about um, the point in Paul's uh, life and his, uh, the time in which this letter was written. And, and many, and I would agree, would use this passage as uh, almost as proof that um, the mir miraculous gifts were starting to wane and cease at this point. 
because Paul didn't heal Epaphroditus. And just think how much time had elapsed um, because of this journey from Philippi to Rome, uh, which involved sailing, um, some overland travel, uh, perhaps, you know, a month or so of travel there and, and back, and, and then the time that he was with Paul. Um, and we, it raises a question also, uh, what type of illness could this have been? Because it was, it was a long time, and it was life-threatening. And so whatever the case may be here in this passage, we see not only the testimony of Epaphroditus recovering from a lengthy, life-threatening illness, but more importantly, we see the testimony of his character in continuing to serve and faithfully complete his mission while he endures and recovers from this life-threatening illness, whatever it was. And this is, in a sense, Paul's testimony of his character. And here in this passage, in these uh, six verses, we see three aspects of Epaphroditus' life and character through which we can learn by way of example how we can live more faithfully. As uh, we hear about his character um, as he goes to serve the Apostle Paul and he endures this sickness, whatever it is. And so three, we'll see three aspects of his life and character here in this passage. First, we see his relationships. As right off from the bat, um, Paul says, But I regarded it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. We see Epaphroditus's relationships. Epaphroditus was sent from the Philippian church from Philippi to bring a gift to the Apostle Paul in Rome, a gift of aid. And in those days, if you were in prison, you had to, in a sense, foot your own bill. They didn't just give you food. You had to pay for it. Or someone had to bring you food or clothing. Or it was much harsher. And so Paul relied upon aid from the churches. Uh, but not just aid for himself, but he would also uh, distribute um, money to other churches as he would continue uh, ministering. And so we see uh, the relationships of Epaphroditus coming from Philippi. And then what Paul um, speaks about Epaphroditus' relationship with him. And so we, we see his relationship with really three uh, main ca categories. Uh, we see Epaphroditus' relationship with Paul and then his relationship with the Philippians, and then his relationship with God. As, as Paul himself testifies uh, that Epaphroditus is my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier. And it's interesting that he, he doesn't just say he's a good guy. He's a swell guy. He, he's been a help to me. But he uses three, um, in a sense, uh, labels or characteristics to uh, uh, 
show what type of person Epaphroditus was. He, he was a brother. He was a, a, a fellow saint, but uh, closer than that, a, a, a close companion. He was also a fellow worker. He didn't just come to Rome and, and, and drop off the aid and, and, and give him a gift basket and some money and say, okay, I hope you're doing well. I'm going to go back home. Uh, nice to see you, Paul. No, he stayed there for a while to work alongside the Apostle Paul. We don't know exactly how long, but he stayed there for um, some length of time. And, and we know he, he, had, he got sick either on the journey there or he got sick while in Rome. And so he stayed there for a while, long enough so that um, the Philippians would learn about him being sick. And you just think, uh, you know, also not only did it take Epaphroditus quite some time to get to Rome, but um, in the same manner, the mail. So for the Philippians to learn, whether by letter or by uh, word of mouth and people traveling, that Epaphroditus was sick, that took some time. And so he was there. He must have been there months uh, alongside of the Apostle Paul. And he was wasn't just sitting there. He was helping. He was working. He was um, being discipled by Paul and helping Paul to disciple and evangelize others and, and whatever uh, uh, tasks he could help to serve the Apostle Paul and, and helping to uh, administer him, to him and, and uh, in his physical needs. Paul also says he's a fellow soldier, which means he's He's a fighter. He, he endures hardship like a good soldier, as Paul would tell Timothy. I like what the Baptist Greek scholar A.T. Robertson wrote concerning this verse. He says this. He says, Note one article, the, with the three epithets, giving in an ascending scale. Brother, uh, Adelphon, meaning common or referring to common sympathy, uh, fellow worker, sunergon, common work. Fellow soldier, uh, common danger. So he says that there's this ascending scale. He, he's not just a brother, but he's a fellow worker. And he's not just a fellow worker, but he's a fellow soldier. He's everything I could ask for and more. And so we see Paul, his relationship with Paul. And then second, we see Epaphroditus' relationship with the Philippians here. As Paul testifies, um, as Epaphroditus is the one who is taking this letter back to Philippi. It's going with him. And so Paul is testifying of his character and how he served him. And he says, he is also your messenger and minister to my need. And we see his relationship with the Philippians as a messenger first. And I just want you to see this. Uh, turn, turn over a page or so um, to chapter 4 in verses 10 to 18. We see this as Paul is in, in the, the last part of this letter. He, he's ending this letter and um, his final greetings and, and explains um, how the Philippians have blessed him. And he says this. He says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly. That now at last you have revived thinking about me. Indeed, you were thinking about me before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in abundance. In any and all things, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. 
I cannot do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to fellowship with me in my affliction. And you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church fellowshiped with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek the fruit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I have been filled, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Here in these last verses of of chapter 4 and and this letter, we see not only uh, uh, Epaphroditus' relationship with with the Philippians as a messenger, and as a minister to Paul, and also as a, a member of the church, but we, we, see his, we see Paul's relationship to the church at Philippi, that they supported him. They supported him um, from the time he had left Philippi. They were, also, they were always faithful supporters, um, and they're supporting him now through Epaphroditus, and, and so much so that, that he, he says what Epaphroditus has, has brought is a fragrant aroma. It's almost like an, an act of worship uh, up to God. It's an acceptable sacrifice. It's pleasing to God. Um, this is uh, the church's relationship with Paul and, and, and by way of extension, Epaphroditus' relationship with Paul and, and then Epaphroditus' relationship with the Philippians, that he was trusted. He was the one guy that was trusted to uh, bring this, this gift, this sacrifice. And then finally, throughout this whole ordeal, we see Epaphroditus' relationship with God. As we read uh, in verse uh, uh, 27, For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him. God had mercy on him to heal him. And and not just in that instance, but God's mercy went all the way back to you know, his salvation. We see Epaphroditus' relationship with God as a recipient of his grace and salvation and salvation and service as he is a, a, a brother and he is a fellow worker. It's not just, you know, grace not only begins with salvation, but it continues in sanctification and in service. It, it abounds in, in God. Uh, uh, guiding us and working through us as we serve others. That, that um, oftentimes we don't see ministry or our service as a means of grace, but it is. It is because um, you know this that, that sometimes and, and perhaps even many times you go to serve, whether it's um, uh, some menial task of, of cleaning or or just um, going to visit somebody or. Uh, teaching uh, little ones in Sunday school, and, and y- your heart may not be all there, but when you leave, you're blessed, and almost you feel like that person that you served blessed you more than you blessed them, and that, that's the grace of God. And we see Epaphroditus' relationship with God as a recipient of his grace in salvation and in service. We also see... Um, his relationship with God as a recipient of his mercy and, and God giving him strength and sustaining him uh, throughout his, his trial of sickness, of illness, and, and uh, throughout this mission that he was sent on. 
We see his relationship as a, with God as a recipient of honor and service to him. As Paul um, explains uh, to the Philippians to honor him, to, to hold him in high regard for his service. Uh, he's worthy of honor. And this reminds me of just uh, the principle and the command to love one another um, as God has loved us. As, you know, the Apostle Paul or Apostle John writes in 1 John that um, 3.16 that by this we have known love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. And by this we will know that we are of the truth and will assure our heart before him. This is exactly what Epaphroditus did. He, he, he did not uh, love only in word but in, uh, or with tongue, but in deed and truth. He, he was the epitome of what the Apostle John was calling uh, believers to do, to serve one another, to love one another, to uh, show their love in tangible um, efforts and uh, activities and uh, tangible acts of service. This was Epaphroditus. And, and it, it, it comes forth in his relationships, his relationship with Paul, with the Philippian church, and with God. And then the, the second aspect we see in this passage of Epaphroditus' life and character is, is his regard. We, we see his relationship, but second we see his regard. Just as Paul says, I regard it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, uh, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all, longing for the Philippians. Uh, his regard for the Philippians. I mean, first we see his regard for Paul in uh, how he sacrificed, and not just to deliver the aid and deliver the money, but to stay with him and to work alongside him and to, uh, in a sense, fight the spiritual battle alongside of him in ministry. We see his regard for Paul, but we also see his regard for the Philippians and his, uh, his longing for them and his distress over their concern. And then Finally, we'll see his regard for the gospel as well, that he regarded the gospel ministry and the advancement of the kingdom so much so that he was willing to uh, sacrifice and to endure hardship for the sake of that. His regard for Paul to deliver this aid, this much-needed aid to him, uh, to travel. And who knows what, um, what dangers, what obstacles, what hardships, uh, just to... Uh, go to the port to get on a ship to uh, whatever type of ship that was, uh, or whether it was a trade ship or a ship full of Roman soldiers or prisoners or who knows, and to travel along. And as far as we know, he went by himself uh, to take that trek. We don't know um, even his sickness for that sake. Uh, we don't know if... if uh, 
if his sickness was, was due to something that he contracted on ship or, or maybe uh, he got seasick and that weakened his immunity so much so that he was more susceptible to some other illness. And then just to travel overland to, to Rome and then to arrive and then to find Paul. All the potential hazards and, and you know, the potential to be robbed from the gift and not to even be able to deliver that aid to him. But through all that all, we see his regard for Paul to deliver the aid to him and whatever it would take to then stay with him and to assist him in the work of ministry and then to fight alongside him in this spiritual battle because you know we do live on a spiritual battlefield. It reminded me of this concept that you know we were taught um, almost every uh, military service is taught this, uh, um, but especially in the army, uh, um, you're taught to have a battle buddy. You don't go anywhere alone, and, and they will, even if you're going somewhere uh, that is just, um, I don't know, routine to a shop, and you could get um, uh, chided and, um, in a sense, uh, rebuked and reprimanded for where's your battle? Where's your battle buddy? Where's your buddy? Who, I mean, you're just you just go alone wherever you you want to go. And, and there's a sense that that even as Jesus sent out his disciples, he sent them out two by two. And yes, it's true as we read this account, we don't know um, exactly if Epaphroditus had someone with him or not. But nonetheless, when he was with Paul, he stuck with him as that buddy to fight alongside him, as that fellow soldier, um, whatever it would um, involve uh, through evangelism or counseling or discipleship or um, as he had delivered the aid, perhaps he would uh, go to and fro from the um, place where Paul was in prison to maybe another house church in Rome. Nonetheless, uh, he showed his regard for Paul in doing whatever Paul needed. First to deliver the aid to him, then to assist him in the work of ministry and uh, whatever hardships he would endure. And then we see his regard for the Philippians as he expresses, as Paul expresses his longing for them all. That he, he longed to uh, return, but he wasn't going to return early. He was going to finish the mission and, and whatever, he was going to stay as long as Paul would have him stay. And even his regard for their concern. I think of, of a, a child with, and his parents. And, and not just a young child, more of a, a teenager or a, a young man or a young adult child going away to college or, or, or going uh, uh, far away for work. Or as I had seen often, a, a young soldier on a deployment and not able to communicate with his parents um, often, but uh, when he goes back to the rear and, and before taking a shower, before going to the store, before doing all the things, he says, you know, I have to go call mom and dad because they're probably worried sick about me. And this is the attitude of uh, Epaphroditus. He's, he's thinking about the Philippian church, and he's like, man, they're probably... They're probably worried sick about me. I mean, they were already worried about me and, and delivering the aid and going on this journey. And now they hear that I have this illness and, and he is probably, you know, like 
like most men, though we complain when we're sick, he also, on the other hand, is trying to tough it out on his own. And he doesn't want to, uh, <laughs> probably doesn't want to show um, how bad off he really is in his sickness. I like what one commentator wrote. He said this, he said this verb, um, which underlies uh, longing or to long for, used here of Epaphroditus, was used by Paul regarding his own feelings towards the Philippians in chapter 1, verse 8, as he says, I long for you, with, for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. He goes on, he says, It is also used of the Spirit's strong yearning for the total allegiance of man's heart in James 4, 5. And of a newborn baby's longing for milk in 1 Peter 2.2. 2. The addition of uh, this other term, uh, which is translated distressed, to the mention of Epaphroditus' longings emphasizes the intensity of his feeling. The only other New Testament uses of this word describe our Lord's emotions in Gethsemane, in Matthew 26 and Mark 14. The Source of the word is not certain, although it is most commonly traced to another word which would be translated away from home, and thus beside oneself, distressed, troubled. Epaphroditus had become deeply distressed when he had learned that the Philippians knew of his illness. He was deeply distressed. They, they were worried about him, but then he became worried about them, worried about him, because Paul was also worried about both of them, and they were all worried for one another about what was going to happen. And so we see, we see their, their heart and their emotion in all of these relationships of Paul and the Philippians and Epaphroditus. But in, in the midst of that, we see their regard for one another. And, and Epaphroditus' regard was, wasn't just for the fellowship of the Philippians return, but he, was, he, he had regard for their reputation as well as a church sending him, as him being an ambassador, an ambassador of this church that he would complete his mission. And finally, we see his regard for the gospel, his regard for the gospel, that he sacrificed this all for the gospel, for the advancement of the kingdom. It, it wasn't just for the relationship of Paul and the church at Philippi, uh, uh, just for a, an apostle. But he, he saw the bigger picture. He saw the bigger picture that this was for the churches. This was for the church universal. This was to support an apostle in his ministry through giving and encouragement, just as we give to missionaries. We aren't particularly giving to the missionary. We, we do think of the missionary, but we're giving to the mission. And we are giving to the mission in that region, but we're giving to the greater mission of the advancement of the kingdom of God through the proclamation of the gospel that would be uh, proclaimed through this missionary. And, and this is what Epaphroditus sees, uh, his regard for the gospel to support an apostle in his ministry, but also um, not only to uh, support the apostle, but to receive support from the apostle as well. Because he knows that in supporting the apostle and supporting 
all the other people that he is ministering to, all the other uh, pastors and disciples in, in Rome, in the Greco-Roman world, that he's helping to expand the gospel and the kingdom. But he also knows that as he goes to the Apostle Paul, he will receive support from him as well in the terms of in the form of discipleship in the form of news about the church in Rome and about the church all over the Greco-Roman world that would then he could take that back to Philippi and that would encourage the church there and compel others to work for Christ and so there's this aspect that that uh, Epaphroditus is, he, he's, he's not thinking about himself at all, which is interesting given the nature of his, his illness, uh, sick to the point of death, that he's not thinking about himself. His regard is for Paul and for the Philippians and ultimately for the advancement of the gospel. And this is the, the attitude which, which Paul is um, uh, exhorting the Philippians to adopt this attitude which um, he illustrates that was in Christ Jesus in Philippians chapter 2. He tells them, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, fulfill my joy that you think the same way by maintaining the same love, being united in spirit, thinking on one purpose, doing nothing from selfish ambition or vainglory, but with humility of mind, regarding one another as more important than yourselves. Not merely looking out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this way of thinking in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Paphroditus' regard for Paul and for the Philippians and for the gospel was such that he, was a, he himself was the last person on his mind. We, we see that in his, his uh, as Paul um, uh, testifies of his longing and his distress for the uh, Philippians and, and then how he served him. He didn't think about himself. He, he thought about the bigger picture. He thought of the apostle. He thought of the churches. And he just wanted to really exemplify Jesus Christ. And give him glory and see his name uh, proclaimed and glorified. And so in this passage we see uh, the relationships of Epaphroditus. We see his regard for Paul and for the Philippians and for the gospel. And then the final aspect of Epaphroditus' life and character we see in this passage is his risk. His risk. As Paul says that he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him. And not on him only, but also on me, so I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard. Because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to fulfill what was lacking in your service to me. We see his risk um, clearly in the fact that he got sick on the way. But there's a a few other ways we we see his risk. That he, he, first and foremost, he risked his reputation. 
He risked his, there was the risk of his reputation in uh, just taking on the mission because he would risk uh, his reputation of being uh, competent and capable. And this was a big mission for someone to send uh, aid to the Apostle Paul. As they, they've always you know, supported him, but now he was in prison and this took a journey and it, it required someone that would be competent and capable. And so surely he, his name was probably the first that came up or, or maybe he was the first that volunteer. But nonetheless, they sent him because he must have had a reputation of being competent and capable of being someone that would be trustworthy and faithful that they could trust in completing this mission and getting this aid to Paul and also um, bringing back news. And they knew as well that, that um, Epaphroditus would spend some time with the Apostle Paul and Apostle Paul would disciple him. But Epaphroditus, there was risk involved. And it started with his own reputation uh, uh, of being someone that is worthy of being sent. One commentator writes this. He says, it is a fair inference that more is involved than merely mutual concern here. He says the strong word distressed and Paul's emphasis on the point that Epaphroditus had really been seriously ill and should be given a hero's welcome may imply that some misunderstanding had arisen in Philippi and that word of it had gotten back to Rome. Perhaps there were rumors that he was a malingerer or that he had been more of a burden than a help to Paul. It's interesting that, you know, we hear... Uh, here in in churches in in America, um, sometimes we do this in youth groups or or with young adults. We we send them on short-term missions trips to go out and to help a a missionary. And usually they they get some light task. Uh, Usually they do some form of outreach or they teach Sunday school. But um, we also hear that that sometimes those groups are, are more of a burden than they're worth. On the missionary, sometimes uh, it just distracts the missionary from from doing actual ministry work, and this can be true about um, an individual going to bring aid. That it's possible that when uh, the Philippians got word back that that they were uh, frustrated or disappointed that um, Epaphroditus was taking so long. They, they didn't know the exact nature of the illness. And so it is possible that they were um, concerned and maybe concerned that Epaphroditus had become a burden to Paul. They, they may have thought that he was taking so, such a long time that he, he could be malingering, which is why I, I believe that Paul refers to him not only as a brother, but also as a fellow worker and a fellow soldier. There was great risk involved in the mission, but there was risk of Epaphroditus of his own reputation. And he laid that down. He took the risk of risking his reputation to go there. But second, we see the risk of his own health. Epaphroditus risked his health to complete the mission, to serve Paul, and then even to return to Philippi. Um, as you know, you read missionary letters, and I, I recently uh, read um, of one uh, missionary uh, that's serving in uh, 
an area in uh, Papua New Guinea, and uh, he had to leave for a couple years because he contracted an illness that um, would have uh, life-lasting effects. He had to come back to the West to receive treatment, but then he wanted go, to go back. But this, this illness was such that it wasn't just that he recovered, but it would have lasting effects on him. And that may have been the case with Epaphroditus. And, and certainly they knew of illnesses in the ancient world that had that effect that would, would not, not only had the possibility of killing you, but if you recovered, you would endure some sort of life-lasting effect from that illness. And he was willing to risk his health to complete the mission, to serve Paul, and then to even return back. And then finally, we, we see... Uh, not only uh, Epaphroditus' risk of his reputation, of his health, but of his life. Epaphroditus risked his life, uh, his life in the face of potential dangers en route. Is who knows? Is even the Apostle Paul would um, would testify of false brothers, as he tells Timothy of um, uh, beware of Alexander the coppersmith. He did me much harm. Uh, of not just false brothers, but um, con men or people or robbers, as Paul would testify during his journeys, robbers. And, and then, you know, the, the, the risk of um, serious illness and disease, which we read about, or the, the, risk, uh, he, the risk of potential persecution and execution. Because certainly once he was found out that he was uh, a disciple. And if he was an honest uh, disciple and an honest minister and sincere like we read about, then certainly he would be evangelizing all the, all the way. And, and that itself would bring opposition and, and potential persecution. But even going into uh, uh, visit the Apostle Paul in the Roman prison, that would mean that he would be an accomplice, so to speak, uh, a partner and uh, something could happen where the situation could degenerate and Epaphroditus could be imprisoned as well and he was willing to take that risk. I like what William Barclay writes in, this, writes in his commentary concerning Epaphroditus. He says this. He says, Clearly, Epaphroditus was a brave man. For anyone who proposed to offer himself as a personal attendant of a man awaiting trial on a charge which carried with it the death penalty was laying himself open to the very considerable risk of becoming involved in the same charge. In truth, Epaphroditus risked his life to serve Paul. The word risking here is a verb parabolistai. It is a gambler's word. It means to stake everything on a throw of the dice. And when Paul uses this word, he is saying that for the sake of Jesus Christ, Epaphroditus gambled his life. He risked it. He risked it all. And this is essentially the call to discipleship, to take up our cross, to deny ourselves, and to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, to lay down our lives to lay down our lives for the sake of others, to lay down our lives for the sake of the mission, for the sake of the church. And, and yes, in, in our day and age, in our time and place, um, it might not mean our life itself, but there is a certain uh, aspect of self-denial in the Christian life. 
uh, of not doing what we always want to do in the moment, but serving others and being willing to risk for the sake of others, um, to hold others in high regard, to uh, hold the gospel and the advancement of the gospel in highest regard. In studying for this passage, I was and just looking at the life of Epaphroditus, I was reminded <clears throat> of something that I would often see when I was uh, stationed in Hawaii um, in the Marine Corps. And yeah, I know, and I, I tell people um, my first duty station was Hawaii, and they're like, oh, yeah, you're really suffering. Uh, but <laughs> but it, I was stuck on an island, and, and there were things I, I learned there, and I wasn't always on that island. I went a lot of places. But during the time when I was on that island, and I would go around and, and um, drive around during my off-duty times, I would often see these bumper stickers <clears throat> everywhere with this phrase, Eddie would go. And without knowing who Eddie was or the context or the history of Eddie or where he would go, just seeing that phrase, Eddie would go, inspired me. Because I was like, yeah, that's right. Eddie would go. I don't know who Eddie is or where he's going, but just the fact that he would go it inspired me. I was like, yeah, that's, that's right. Go, Eddie, wherever you're going. <clears throat> but it made me think, and then later on, eventually someone told me a little bit more of the background that um, that was about this surfer named Eddie Aikau and I'm probably mispronouncing his name, but he was a big wave surfer. And he, he would surf these monster waves, and he would go out there and, and surf these life-threatening monster waves on the north shore of Oahu. And, and that in and of itself was, was just, you know, it, it was commendable. I know he liked it, but as I learned more about him, there, there was a, a, a deeper meaning to this this phrase that was he would be commended by. And so uh, I want to read just a, a small portion of, of this excerpt of his life from a, a, a surfing website. Eddie was a Hawaiian big wave surfer and North Shore of Oahu lifeguard. The pure blood Hawaiian defined big wave surfing's early days, especially in the 1970s. Eddie surfed and tamed Waimea Bay, one of the biggest waves in the world, better than anyone. Aikau was also Waimea Bay's first lifeguard. And while on duty, he saved over 500 lives and lost zero souls to drowning in the high surf. The Hawaiian surfer lifeguard joined the Hakulea, a 60-foot replica of a Polynesian voyaging canoe, for a 2,400-mile sailing journey from Hawaii to Tahiti using ancient navigational techniques only. On March 17, 1978, the boat capsized 20 miles west of Lanai, and the crew lost all provisions and telecommunications. When the Hakulea capsized, Aikau decided to paddle his board toward Lanai to get help. The crew had a conference and decided that Eddie Aikau could go. So he tied the leash to his surfboard, picked up a few oranges, and tied a life jacket to his waist. He was ready for a five-hour paddle toward Lanai, but he was never seen again. 
his sacrifice reached mythic status. The first Quicksilver Eddie Aikau Big Wave Invitational was held in the winter of 1985 and 86 in his honor at Waimea Bay. The unique contest requirement was that waves had to be 20 feet or bigger. When the organizers were deciding whether to raise the green flag or not for weather, um, a man named Mark Fu exclaimed, Eddie would go. The expression stuck and the contest got underway. His younger brother Clyde said, no one surfed like Eddie. He would take off on a huge scary wave and he'd be surfing down it with the biggest smile you ever saw. The rest of us were nervous. Eddie belonged there. It was his home. And this, according to maritime historian Max Simpson, the phrase Eddie would go predates Hakulea. Akayu was a legend on the North Shore doing what no one else dared to do, to pull people out of Waimea's giant surf. That's where the saying comes from. Eddie would go when no one else would, would or could. Only Eddie dared. Eddie would go became a semantic symbol of courage, commitment, and perseverance. And in reading more about that story, and there's nothing to uh, say that he was a believer, just a man that of great courage and sympathy for fellow human beings and willing to risk his life to save them. But I think that it would be just as fitting, if not more, for the church to adopt the phrase, Epaphroditus would go. Because he did. And Epaphroditus would go, just as Timothy would go. And Timothy would go just as Paul would go. And many others throughout church history would go. And so a question for every one of us as we read this excerpt from Epaphroditus' life and we think about the lives of Timothy and Paul and everyone throughout church history that would go, the question for every one of us is, would you go? Would you go for the sake of others, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of lost souls? who are dead and dying in their sin, would you go? Would you go for their sake? Would you go for the sake of Jesus Christ? And this brings up that famous quote by the missionary Jim Elliott who said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. This is a testimony of Epaphroditus. Because Epaphroditus would go. Heavenly Father, you know each and every one of us perfectly. We all have our besetting sins. We all have our creature comforts. We all have our strengths and our weaknesses. We all have the things that we like and we love and we long for. We all struggle with self. And there is a sense in which most of the day we think of what we want and what we would desire. And it's rare that we think of others. And sadly, that we think of your kingdom first, as you call us to. 
And there is a sense when we hear the call to go, whether that's across the world to uh, be a missionary or just across the street to talk to our neighbor or to the next cubicle over to talk to our coworker or just to pick up the phone and, and call somebody. There is a sense in which our flesh says, no, I won't go. I want to do what I want to do. Lord, help us to go. Help us to think of others as more significant than ourselves. And help us to think of your kingdom as most significant. And to think of your glory always. And help us to go. Wherever that may be, wherever you may send us, help us to go for your sake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.